So we're in John chapter 12. My aim is to finish chapter 12 tonight. Uh, Chapter 12 begins with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and you're familiar with those details. Um, Jesus comes riding in on the back of a donkey, not a stallion or a steed, uh, to demonstrate that, you know, he's not there to demonstrate power, but he is there to be uh, the, the, the suffering servant, the gentle savior. Um, who rides in and they, you know, they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And uh, immediately there's controversy and questions. And if you look at the synoptics, uh, Jesus probably cleanses the temple again. Um, There's a significant difference between what John covers, the details that he covers, and what the synoptics cover. Uh, So the synoptics look at Sunday and Monday and Tuesday of what is now called Holy Week, right? Jesus last week on earth before he went to the cross. Um, Sunday is obviously Palm Sunday, triumphal entry and all of that. Uh, Monday is the day when he cleanses the temple. Tuesday is a giant day of controversy. Lots and lots went on on Tuesday. Wednesday is just a silent day. We just really don't know anything. And then Thursday uh, is they pretty much just prepare for Passover, which they observe uh, Thursday night for us, which would have been uh, Friday for the Jewish people. But in John's gospel, we have chapter 12, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Um, He has uh, the opportunity to talk to some Greeks, right? Uh, These would have been uh, perhaps proselytes to Judaism, but likely just God-fearers that were in Jerusalem at that time of Passover. And uh, Jesus demonstrates that, hey, no, uh, this isn't time for that, right? The gospels we know through Paul is going to go out to the known world, right? But Jesus is there to die for our sins on that cross. That's what he's here to do. Um, Everything that he did leading up to that was to demonstrate that he is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Um, And it's not just a man who died on the cross, okay? Uh, Lots of men died on crosses. It's a horrible death, but that doesn't help you, right? It kind of reminds me of when people say, well, my thoughts are with you. Okay, well, happy day. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe that makes you feel good for a moment or, you know, when you think about, wow, other people care about me. That's great, but it doesn't help your situation, right? When somebody's saying they genuinely pray for you, they're, they're laying hold of the throne of God. God has power, right? God can change your situation, And so it's the same thing here. You know, uh, Jesus didn't just come to be an example for us and give us some moral teaching and say, now try to, you know, try to do that. Try to live the way I'm telling you to live. No, he died so that our sins could be wiped away so that we could be reconnected to God and have literally the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus living in us to work in us and work through us and guide us. And the reason that we don't, as Christians, go back into the Old Testament and try to keep all of these 613 commandments that are there is because we have the spirit of that, of those commandments, right? The intent, the purpose in Christ, right? who is residing in us. If, you know, I said this very clearly on Sunday, um, if you don't have the spirit of Jesus, then you don't belong to him, right? You're not supposed to do that on your own. It's not a matter of believing in your head or having feelings. It's a matter of having a genuine relationship with Christ, which means that his spirit is dwelling within you and has interaction, communication with your spirit, okay? So, um, Jesus then, uh, I'm going to go up to 27. I'm not going to recover these verses. I'm just going to read them and remind you. John 12, 27, Jesus says, Now my soul has become troubled, and what am I to say? Father, save me from this hour? Okay, so his hour has finally come, right? The hour, the passion, uh, the hour of suffering and, and death on the cross. Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Look, that's the purpose. That's the point for Jesus coming to earth. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And as we pointed out, people interpret that differently. Some people just heard thunder, all right? Uh, uh, 
so the crowd who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for yours. Jesus didn't need the voice, right? The voice was another example of a sign. You know, people are always saying, well, if God would just speak to me, here's the Bible, you're here listening, God is speaking to you if you're paying attention. Does a rumbling voice from heaven have to say, hey, I'm God, listen to me. You'd be scared and wouldn't even believe that that was God. You'd say, what in the world? Somebody playing a joke on me or something, okay? But Jesus recognized the voice. Some people in the crowd obviously recognized the voice or we wouldn't have it here in our text. At the very least, John did, right? Um, but Jesus responded and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for yours. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am list, lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So Jesus came to defeat the devil, to destroy the devil's works. And the primary works of the devil, deception. He deceives you, he deceives me, or he seeks to. And if we believe those lies and are led astray, we're led into the darkness and self-destruction and all this terrible behavior that we see uh, going on in our world now that really is a direct correlation with people turning away from Christ, right? Saying, well, you know, I don't know. Uh, Jesus may, may have existed or not. And I don't really know if I believe in God and all these sorts of things. So we just sort of, you know, go along, make up our own morality and listen to other humans tell us what they think is right. And the world is literally going crazy right now. I mean, to pay attention to the news, you just have to be careful. Honestly, you, you have to take the news in small doses, because it will drive you nuts. Because there's no longer news. It's not just here's reporting. It's no, listen to me. Believe what I'm telling you right now. You have to believe what I'm saying. It's all editorial. You know, there's not any news. We don't have Walter Cronkite anymore. Everybody in this room is too young. Well, Alan's not. You remember Walter Cronkite, Alan? All right. Now, that was the guy that just, this is Walter Cronkite. All right. <laughs> Are you old enough to remember him? Yeah. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, no commentary, just the news. Here it is. Now, even when there's no direct commentary, by virtue of what the media determines that they will present to you, they're telling you what they believe is important. The things that are ignored are the things they tell you they do not believe are important. Um, nonetheless, okay. Um. So uh, the voice was for us. It's a miraculous voice. Verse 31. Now, oh, I already did that. 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now he was saying this to indicate what kind of death he was going to die. As I indicated before, the word for lifted up can mean to be socially raised up or it was the euphemism for being raised up on a cross and crucified. And, you know, I think the, the Romans took sadistic pleasure in the fact that they were, you know, yeah, we'll raise you up, all right. We're going to raise you up naked in front of everybody and let you suffer and die because you broke our rules and you're not doing what we want you to do. The, the cross was terrifying to people and Rome knew it. And so, you know, this is, this is a way to keep people in line. Um, when people don't believe that they, there are consequences for their actions, then they just go crazy. Look at all the shoplifting that's going on in California right now and other similar states. Um, well, you say, well, why is that? You know, why is that happening? They're just really not prosecuting it anymore, and the the stores don't want the uh, personnel to interact with shoplifters, so they just let them come in, and and you know, you have these mad groups that just march in and steal everything in the store and go. So it's gotten so bad that. Uh, you know, downtown San Francisco, which, you know, used to be a bustling place, has some fairly wealthy shops there. I mean, it's a ghost town now. Nobody wants to do business there. Listen, if you don't prosecute crime, then people are going to commit crime. Hey, it's simple human nature, right? Um, but I think this is, you know, this is happening in so-called red states. This is part of the destabilization of our nation, right? That's what Marxists do. They destabilize so that they can come in and replace the government with Marxism, all right? Well, 
There's some political commentary for you, and that was for free. All right. <laughs> Jesus is saying, I'm going to be raised up on a cross. I didn't come to be a political messiah, right? I didn't come to be a Republican. I didn't come to be a Democrat, right? I didn't come to run for office. He's the messiah. He's the son of God. And he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's going to come back to reign. And he's going to come back to judge. But the first time he came to earth, he came to save us, thankfully. Amen? Um. So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. No, I'm sorry. I need to read. I, I'm skipping verses here. I'm skipping back and forth. I need to read 34. That was 35. Go to 34. The crowd then answered him. We have heard from the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how is it that you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. Also, the one who walks in the darkness did not, does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus proclaimed and he went away and hid himself from them. So Jesus is really, really hitting this theme about him being the, himself, being the light, right? This goes all the way back to John 8, 12, all right? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, right? He's the light. Um, and then he's made, the, he's made the case again twice here in chapter 12, all right? So let's look at, uh, last week I mentioned this. It was the last thing I, I spoke about, um, Jesus has been talking since he got into Jerusalem, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The, the group that he's been addressing is what is just called the crowd, okay? In Greek, oklos. Um, so this is like a mixed multitude. Now, they're all there for the Passover. So we're not talking about pagans. We're talking about Jews. But also, obviously, you know, some Greeks wanted to talk to Jesus. So there were Gentiles proselytes to Judaism or God-fearers that were there. Um, last week, I mentioned that <clears throat> Acts chapter 2 takes place 50 days after Passover, okay? And it's also one of the major pilgrimage feasts or festivals, right? Three pilgrimage festivals. There's Passover, there's Pentecost, and there's Tabernacles, Okay? Pishak, Shavuot, and Sukkot, right? Those three festivals required anybody within, oh, I'm trying to remember the number of miles. I want to say like 15 miles or something like that. If you were a male, you, if, uh, unless there was something physically wrong with you, you, you were compelled to go to Jerusalem. But people wanted to be in Jerusalem during those festivals. Now, Passover was actually, it's very interesting, um, it was actually a, uh, a feast that was observed in the home, and that's still to this day, right? You observe Passover in your home, right? But Jews want to be in Jerusalem to observe Passover. Uh, in fact, to this day, if you're uh, in a Messianic Jewish community or, you know, if you are, were ever invited to a Jewish home um, to observe Passover, one of the things they will say is next year in Jerusalem. That's, that's their hope. That's their dream, okay? It's important. So um, there would have been a lot of people from, that weren't from Judea that would have been in Jerusalem. So the crowd. Uh, let's go to uh, Acts 2. This is Acts 2, 9 through 11, and it will tell us who was there or from what nations uh, the people uh, were from who were there during Pentecost, and you can bet that the same nations would, would have been represented here 50 days previous. So Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, these are, this is a mixed multitude, okay? Now, again, that's from Acts 2, but I'm just saying, I don't believe that the crowd would have been any different or the composition of the crowd would have been any different. So 
while the great majority of those in the crowd were Jews, they would have had varying degrees of knowledge about the scriptures and varying opinions about Messiah. But all who were familiar with the law would agree that Messiah was coming to establish a kingdom on earth forever. They could not foresee that the Messiah would first die for their sins so that they could be fit for that kingdom and that he would rise from the dead to destroy the curse of death forever and open the kingdom of God, not just to the Jews, but to all people. They simply understood that the Davidic throne would be reestablished and perpetuated in the same way it began, as an earthly reign by a chosen earthly king. And today, many Jews who reject Jesus as Messiah continue to believe exactly the same way. The fact is, Jesus will return to earth, right? Amen? Do you believe Jesus is coming back? That's what he said. That's what he promised. And when he returns, he will visibly reign, okay? He will reign or rule with the rod of iron. However, the kingdom of God is in the midst of the nations, plural, now. That's why tongues, okay, allowed the gospel to be proclaimed in the native language, right, of every person that was there because the kingdom is now going to be within or among the nations. Jesus made this clear. He said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, you've probably heard that translated, the kingdom of God is within you. How many of you have heard that? The kingdom of God is within you. And typically people think of that as meaning, oh, the kingdom of God is in me personally. In a sense, yes, but that's not what this is saying, okay? It says the kingdom of God is within y'all. See, in, in the South, we have a way of saying that. That's the second person plural, okay? The second person plural in Old English or in Middle English was ye, okay? Do ye understand me? And that means everybody, right? It's y'all. So you have y'all, and then you have all y'all, okay? But that's what he's saying. He said the kingdom of God is within you. It's among you. It's in your midst, right? Um, that's what Jesus said. That's Luke 17, 20, and 21. So what does that mean? Wherever there are believers who have called on Jesus to be their Lord, that's where the kingdom is. Once again, Jesus said this, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Have you heard that scripture? Yes. All right, that's Matthew 18, 20. All that is necessary, this, is, this comes from my theology professor, okay? I'm, I'm not gonna say that this is my idea. All that's necessary for a kingdom is for there to be a king and subjects. If you've called on Jesus to be Lord, you have subjected yourself to him and you've said he is your king. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is everywhere the genuine church meets. These communities of faith meet everywhere, all over the world. That's the kingdom of God. It's among the nations. It's like the Jewish diaspora was, right? Um, the, you know, the Jews were scattered all over the world. Well, Christians are everywhere all over the world. The kingdom of God is all over the world. Now, I'm not saying that everyone that calls himself a Christian is genuinely a Christian or part of the kingdom. There's lots of nominal Christianity. But nonetheless, wherever uh, genuine believers are, those who have subjected themselves to Jesus as their king, that's where the kingdom of God is. Um, and Jesus will return and reign over everyone uh, eventually, but for now, uh, we're allowing him to reign over us. Then he says, walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. So what are we talking about? Light here, okay? We're talking about God's revelation, Okay, he's showing us what God thinks, what God says, what God wants us to do, right? The revelation of God. Jesus, at the beginning of John's gospel, it's been a long time since we were there, beginning of this year, but uh, in the prologue, it says of Jesus that in the beginning was the word. That's the message. He's God's revelation. Jesus is God's revelation. So this is just another way of saying that. He's the light, Right? So I turn off all the, all the lights in here. And if I turn off the exit signs and I turn off the, the, the clock, because believe it or not, these are, these are all bright enough to where if I turn off all the lights in here, you can still see and get around. Yeah. Trust me, I've done it, okay? 
Um, but if I turn all that off and close all the doors, man, it's dark. Now, you've, you've kind of already memorized where the chairs are, so you might be able to, you know, make your way out the back door or whatever. Um, but as soon as I turn a flashlight on, buddy, your eyes are going to go right to that flashlight, right? Uh, I've used this example Christmas many times because I often look at these texts where Jesus said he's the light of the world uh, at Christmas because we do the candlelight service here. Um, and we will, Christmas Eve. We'll have a Christmas Eve service here uh, once again this year. And we'll have a candlelight service. And it's Sunday this year. Uh, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. But um, I've given this illustration before. Have you ever been in a cave? Like one of those you know, caves where you go. There's one just uh, outside of Austin, between here and Austin. I can't remember the name of the cave. But uh, you, know, you go and you get in the, like this little train and it goes down, 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 down. Right, and they tell the story about how this cave was discovered and all this other stuff. Um, but uh, I went there, I don't know, it's been 10 years ago or so now. I, I even took my camera. I've got some video footage of it. But when you get down in a cave, no light can get in, right? Light travels in a straight line. So once you go down and in, there's no light at all, period. Well, obviously there's light down there. They've got electric lights down there. But I've been in two caves um, one was in Arizona and one was this one outside of uh, Austin. And in both instances, they did the same thing. They turned all the lights off. Buddy, it is so dark, you can feel it. It's, it's oppressive. It's so, like you can hold your hand right here and you cannot see anything. There's no light at all, right? And then your little tour guide dude, right? He'll like either light a lighter, you know, or he'll, you know, light a flashlight. And I mean, immediately, it's like, wow. Everybody's eyes go toward that light, okay? And then that light, you know, it may not be bright enough to illuminate the whole cave, but it lights everything around you. Yeah, Jesus is the revelation, right? If you want to know the way things are supposed to be, in fact, if you want to know the way things really are, not just how they're explained by other humans, you've got to have this perspective that Jesus offers. He's the light of the world. He's this revelation from God. He's God's word. He's God's message. Right now, you are in the light because you're listening to the revealed word of God in John's gospel. Choose to believe and continue walking in the light of his truth. So there's another way of saying revelation, God's truth, right? Jesus tells Pilate uh, when we get to that point in um, John 18 that he's come to bear witness to the truth, right? That's what we need. We need the truth, not your truth and my truth, the truth. That's what you need, all right? And that's what Jesus offers us. So if you leave doubting tonight, you're walking away from the light and into the darkness of this world. If you turn off this broadcast, doubting, you go right back out into the darkness, right? Um, and that includes, you know, whatever's being spread out there, atheism, false religion. The, see, the insidious irony is that many who walk in darkness believe they are enlightened. They're woke, right? Our world is filled with self-assured people who are entirely misled by the lies of the evil one. Remain in Christ, friend. There's many temptations to walk away in our world today. He's the light of the world and those who follow him will not walk in darkness. Continue to believe the truth found in the Bible. As soon as you open the door to doubt, you blow out the candle that is the light. You really do. If I had more time, I could give you an example of that in my own personal life when I was in college, but maybe later. Jesus said, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Modern translation will say sons and daughters. Here's what you need to understand. Daughters were not offered the same rights as sons, but Jesus offers all the daughters the rights of sons. So whenever it says brothers, Whenever it says sons, you're being included, ladies. It's not sexism. It's not exclusion. It is the highest degree of inclusion, okay? So we all become children of light, you could say, but at that highest level of inclusion. 
right? Um, and, you know, a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning, I preached from 1 John uh, chapter 1, where it says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, right? Um, so when you become a child of God, born from above, you too become a light to the world. The light is within you, we could say. you kind of like a lantern, maybe, all right? But maybe a better illustration is Christ is the sun and you are the moon. You reflect the light. Have you ever been out at night when there's just a really bright full moon? Man, it just lights up everything like unbelievable. Now we've got to get away from all the city lights to really, you know, understand that. Um, but that's what we become, right? Here's what Jesus said about that in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Sermon on the Mount. He's telling his disciples, and if you've called on Jesus to be your Lord, you're one of his disciples, you're one of his followers, his students. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify you. No, what does it say? And glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, that's why I say you're the reflection. They don't say, oh, you're so enlightened. I want to follow you. Will you be my teacher? All right? Man, I, you know, I'm the pastor of this church. Sure, I, I want to be a pastor to people, but I don't want to be the teacher. That's not who I am, right? Um, you know, Jesus explicitly said, call no man on earth father, call no man on earth your teacher, right? That doesn't mean don't have an honorific title or recognize that somebody has a gift of teaching, but it's all I'm doing is pushing you to pay attention to Jesus. I'm turning your eyes toward him. I want you to follow Jesus. The only way I want you to follow me is as I'm following him. If I get out of line and start walking down a bypath, you need to leave me behind. You say, that dude's nuts, right? He used to tell the truth, but I don't know what happened. I don't know what he's taking, but I'm following Jesus. At least he pointed me the right direction back when he was making sense, right? Because there's plenty of people that have deconverted, you know, all this, even pastors, worship leaders, all this other stuff. That's just a shame. But you know what? I don't follow a worship leader, right? I don't follow a pastor. I don't follow my own heart. I follow Jesus, or at least I try to. Then it says... He went away and hid himself from them. So this is where we know that John's gospel is not going to cover the same time period, or it is covering the same time period. It's not going to cover all of the things that happened during that last week, because suddenly Jesus hides himself from them, okay? Well, the last time reference we had here was that it was Sunday, okay? But we don't know that everything that has happened since the triumphal entry happened on Sunday. So A.T. Robertson, who is a masterful Greek scholar uh, in the 19th century, wrote a, or he didn't write it, he assembled what is known as the harmony of the gospels. So what he did is he took the four gospels and he harmonized them and tried to lay out the timing, all right? I can recommend it to you. It's a very old book. Uh, he's very, very intelligent. He does give some commentary here and there to kind of direct you so you'll know what's going on. But basically, all it does is it just lays down the timing, right, of all four Gospels. Believe it or not, this is one of the earliest, in fact, this may be the reason we have actual books. Because... Um, Early, early on in the history of the church, a scroll would have been too bulky to include all four Gospels, but they wanted to lay them down alongside each other, all right? Uh, there's a name, the Diatessaron, I think, maybe, is the name of the, the, the first uh, harmony of the Gospels where they laid them all, and so they put them in a codex instead of a scroll so that they could harmonize the Gospels, right? Well, A.T. Robertson did that. It's called A Harmony of the Gospels, right? And uh, John's Gospel doesn't cover the entire week of Jesus prior to the crucifixion, as I mentioned. However, A.T. Robertson, in his Harmony of the Gospels, places John 12, 20 through 50 on Monday. 
If we try to correlate John with the synoptics, it is likely the end of the day Tuesday when the Lord hid himself from everyone. Because Jesus does nothing publicly on Wednesday or Thursday day. The disciples observe Passover on Thursday evening, which is Friday for the Jews, and Jesus is crucified Friday morning. Okay, all right. So Jesus does hide himself from everyone in the middle of the week. And I think that that's what this is. This is where you can harmonize those and point them. Uh, they're pointing the same direction. John 12, 37. Boy, I better hurry. But though he had performed so many signs in their sight, they still were not believing in him. Can you comprehend this? They just heard a voice from heaven. God just spoke from heaven. Oh, uh, you know, a very short time prior to that, Jesus raised a man from the dead who lived two miles from, and they still don't believe what in the wide world of sports is necessary to get some people to that point, right? So even with his apparent popularity among uh, many, as demonstrated during the triumphal entry, the majority of the crowd still did not believe in him. Then John points out Isaiah's prophecy. Um, This happened so that the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, would be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed our report... And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart so that they will not see with their eyes and understand with their heart and be converted so I will not heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory. That is, Isaiah saw Christ's glory and he spoke about him. Nevertheless, Okay, so now we have a lot of these people that are not believing. But John says, wait a minute. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him so that they would not be excommunicated from the synagogue. Remember the man born blind that excommunicated him because he was uh, calling them on the carpet about their their unbelief? Um for they love the approval of people rather than the approval of God. Ouch. We'll get to that in a second. Right? So how about this statement from Isaiah? Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So you heard somebody say, maybe you've said it, well, seeing is believing. You heard that? If seeing truly is believing, then this prophecy and the resulting fulfillment would not be true. The people would have believed on the evidence of Jesus' signs. I used to debate a fella online. This is back when I thought Facebook was valuable for, you know, presenting opinions in debate. Yeah, no, it's it's not. It's really, people don't, you know. Well, actually, I think people do, but the people that post don't. There's people sitting back and reading and paying attention, but automatically, people that post are either 100% 100% in agreement with you already. Or they are diametrically opposed and they think you're an idiot. And they're happy to tell you you're an idiot, right? This fellow was so interesting because he and I used to have these debates when I would get invited. Uh, his daughter used to go to our church and I would get invited over to his house, uh, holidays, uh, Christmas oftentimes. And he was a great cook, by the way. Uh, but he was a, a, uh, a civil rights attorney from the East Coast and he was Jewish and he was an atheist, right? But we used to have these healthy debates. It was fun to talk to him. He was very respectful. Get on Facebook? No. Name calling, all of this stuff. I was like, what in the world is going on? Here's the thing. People get to the place where they've hardened their hearts so much that no matter what you do, it just makes their hearts harder. That's what Isaiah is saying here. That's what happened with Pharaoh. Remember the story about the Exodus? Okay. Moses keeps coming to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. One sign after another, you know, turns the, you know, the Nile River into blood. And, and then, you know, there are gnats and uh, frogs and, you know, there's 10 plagues. So the first four of those plagues and incidents that happens, Pharaoh, it says Pharaoh and Pharaoh hardened his heart. See, Pharaoh had an option. He had an opportunity to believe. 
But it said, no, no, mm -mm, not going to do that. And Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it says, this is terrifying. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. See, eventually, the very mention of God, quotation of a scripture, will raise ire and fury in someone, right? Because their heart is so hard, they don't want to hear it. I've used this example before. So I teach karate. I was in here last night. We had a great class in here last night. Um, I've got a bunch of kids that are coming now that come to my uh, Tuesday morning class with the the homeschool co-op. And so a bunch of them came last night as well. But one of the things uh, that we do as a, as a discipline in karate is what is called makawara work, right? You say maka what? Makawara work, okay? And what you do is you continually strike with the knuckles. The purpose is to deaden the nerves so that when you use that as a weapon, right, you're not like, ah, okay. That's the whole purpose. See, that's great if you're going to be a karateka and you want to deaden your knuckles so that you can use those fists. It's terrible when that's your heart. Bang, bang, bang. No, no. No, no. Now you've got this thick callus on there and you can't feel anything, right? So God's trying to gently push you a direction and you push back and push back and push back. You see what I'm saying? That's what Isaiah is saying here, okay? If you're listening right now, then the arm of the Lord has been revealed to you. That is his willingness to save you. Will you admit you need to be saved? Will you put your firm faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Those who only listen but remain in doubt will eventually become deaf and blind to the truth, as Isaiah prophesied. prophesied. He has blinded their eyes and he has hardened their heart so that they will not see with their eyes and understand with their heart and be converted. And so I will not heal them. You know, some of the hardest-headed Hardest-hearted people are people that have been in church their whole lives. Been there, done that, got the shirt. In fact, I got a wardrobe of shirts. I got shirts from every decade. I know all those answers, preacher. I've heard all that before. That's not the point. The point is, do you believe? I read the Bible every single day, and I've read it all over and over and over. You know, I don't know how many times I've read through the Bible. I've read through the Bible a lot. So why don't I just quit? Don't I just know it? No, you never really know it, right? I mean, I'll read stuff that I've read countless times and I read it again. And if I'm praying and paying attention, then the Lord like opens something else up to me or not even something new. That's not even the point, honestly. Um, we, we just have this, we have this, this sick desire for novelty, we just want to be thrilled. We want something new, something new, something new. How about you just obey what you know and <laughs> do what you know? Because then God's going to, you know, reveal more to you about your own life and, you know, where to go and what to do, all right? Um, you know, I will show you great and mighty things that you do not yet know, but you got to do what you know now. If you're not doing what you know now, God has no need to show you anything else. In fact, what happened, what may happen to you is what happened to Israel. I think this is in Amos, uh, the prophet Amos. God says, I'm not sending a famine of bread on the land, but a famine of the hearing of the word of God. So you get to the point where you have this spiritual leakage, right? Um, that's when Jesus said, to him who has will more be given, Okay. But to him who has not, even what he has will be taken from him. That's revelation. Okay? Right, I, I've been in Sunday school. I know all those answers. Yes, I've heard that story. Can you repeat it back to me? Do you know what it means? Well, I don't care. Okay. And then eventually you just lose it all. Right? You like lose your mind. You lose those stories. You, you lose that truth. Because you're not paying attention. You're not laying hold of it. So, back to the, uh, karate as an example again. Um, basics, right? Practicing the basics. It's called kihon, 
in karate. We do the same thing every practice just about. I mean, I try to present some novelty and application, different things, but basically we're punching over and over, blocking over and over, kicking over and over, practicing the same katas over and over and over. The thing is, I've been, so the first kata that I learned, um, at least in Ishinru, the, the system that I have a black belt in, um, is called Seison Kata, okay? Uh, it's a third degree black belt kata in Shorinru, which is one of the two systems that make up our system. Uh, but in Ishinru, it's the first kata. Oh, it's really fun to teach this to kids. <laughs> it's not. It's hard to teach it to kids, right? The beginning of it is easy, but then there's some stuff in it that's hard. So I brought in a kata from the first school that I was in, or the first system I was in, which is Kempo. And it's a very simple blocking kata. And it used, it was called short one. I call it uke kata, which just means blocking kata in Japanese, okay? These kids have been practicing this for, you know, four years. I've been practicing... Uh, um, Seison Kata, I first learned it in 1986. So what is that? 38 years? 37 years? Okay. Um, yeah, it's been a long time since I've been practicing that. And I can still tell you there are areas where I could use work. Right? You just, you think, oh, no, I've got that. I've got that. Okay. So educators right? You know, Bloom's taxonomy of learning, right? The bottom of Bloom's taxonomy of learning, you know, do you know this, is recognition. That's where you give the kids a multiple guest test. You know what I'm talking about? Right? They love those multiple guest tests, right? We call it multiple choice as teachers, but they, they, it's multiple guess, right? But basically it's like, I don't know that answer. What is that answer? Uh, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. It's recognition memory. It's the very, very lowest level of learning, okay? But as you move up Bloom's taxonomy of learning, now you have to have a recall mem memory, not just recognition memory. So my theology professor, uh, when I first started out, this is back when Grand Canyon University was Grand Canyon College, and it was a small Christian school. Now, I just heard, it's the largest Christian university in the world. It has like 100,000 students, and it's because it has so many online students. Yeah. Like the campus is not even half the size of Baylor. And Baylor has like 20,000 students, right? But the majority of students at Grand Canyon University are now online students. They've gone a, a for-profit direction, completely different. But when I was there, it was a small Christian school. Um, they trained a lot of teachers. They trained a lot of nurses. And uh, they had a great theology department, religion department. And my professor was D.C. Martin. And all of his tests were hard. There were no multiple choice tests. He simply asked the question and you had to answer the question, period. And you had to get it exactly right or it was wrong. 50% right was not, okay, there's half a point. No, you didn't get, because I was his grader after I'd been his student for a full year and taken like five of his classes. Uh, he made me his grader. And he was like, he gave you the answers and if, the student didn't put this answer, red mark, you're wrong, okay? That's, it's, yeah, recall memory. And then you get to the top of Bloom's taxonomy, and now it's critical thinking. You're evaluating what's going on, right? This is where you get uh, the, the essay question, right? When you write about something, and you comment on it, and you think about it, okay? So when you read the Bible, it's not just a matter of saying, no, I recognize that. I've, I've read that before. Congratulations. You really haven't learned anything, okay? It's great that you read it before, but did you take it in? Did you mull it over? Did you meditate on it? Did you distill it so that it becomes something other than the, you know, the raw material of, you know, words on a page, okay? Um, Okay, so this is how we get to that place, though. We hear the word, we hear the word, we hear the word, but we're not really paying attention. Or we're paying attention and we're debating whether, well, I don't know if I believe that, though. I've got to think about that. Hmm. Man, when you hear the word and you're offered an opportunity to have faith, have faith, boom, reach out, grab it, grab it. Put it in there, hold on to it. 
let it sprout up and let it produce fruit in your life, okay? Otherwise, he blinds your eyes, hardens your heart, okay? And Jesus, uh, John said, these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory, that is, Isaiah saw Christ's glory and he spoke about him. So there are many messianic prophecies in Isaiah. In fact, Isaiah has the most messianic prophecies of all of the Old Testament prophets, right? Uh, if you start reading in Isaiah 40, in the 40s, we see Messiah as the suffering servant, right? Isaiah 53 is arguably the most powerful messianic uh, chapter. It, it's like a blow-by-blow blow account of the crucifixion 800 years before it happened. It's unbelievable, so Isaiah was seeing the glory of the Lord long before Jesus uh, came to earth. <clears throat> Nevertheless, he says, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. So in spite of the disbelief of the majority, some of the religious leaders did believe. Now, I bet you know two of their names. They're both found in John. One of them we already encountered in John 3. Nicodemus. But we have no indication that he publicly confessed believing in Jesus. He did come to Jesus' uh, uh, aid, if you will. Um, and he argued in favor of them listening to Jesus, paying attention to him rather than just judging him. Okay, um, and they dismissed him. This this was in John chapter seven, and then at the end of John's gospel, where was Jesus' body buried? All right, in somebody's tomb. What was the somebody's name? Joseph from Arimathea, who was also on the council. So these, this is an indication that there are at least two religious leaders who did believe in him probably, but we don't have any indication that they ever confessed him, right? Joseph, you know, went and asked Pilate for his body and gave him an honorable burial, Right? And by the way, that's important evidence for the fact that Jesus uh, rose because uh, Joseph of Arimathea was a well-recognized religious official and he testified, no, Jesus was buried in my tomb and it was a new tomb and they put a stone over it and they sealed it and they put guards in front of it and he was still gone, right? All right? Um, but we know, the thing is, imagine what kind of a, a testimony those two men could have had if they'd publicly confessed Jesus. They'd have been leaders in the early church. But after the burial of Jesus, because Nicodemus helped Joseph take Jesus' body and bury it. He brought, he brought it says like 100 pounds of spices, okay? They didn't have a chance to embalm him with all of those. They just brought them because it was right at the edge of the Sabbath. They couldn't do that. It was a quick job. It was just, you know, put a burial cloth over him and we'll get back to that, right? But he brought those spices to the tomb, right? But we don't hear anything about them after the resurrection, nothing. Now, I'm not saying that they won't be in heaven. Maybe they will. I'm not saying that they didn't eventually confess Jesus, but certainly they didn't at this time. And they represent uh, what is being spoken of here. Well, why didn't these people confess Jesus for the same reason some of us don't. They love the approval of people rather than the approval of God. So are you more concerned about being accepted by other people, about being canceled? <gasps> Heaven forbid. Are you, or are you more concerned about being approved by God? Do you worry about losing friends if you become open about your faith in Jesus? Listen, Jesus was very clear about our need to be open about him, um, our need to be open about our faith. <clears throat> Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Jesus said, therefore, everyone who confesses me or acknowledges me before people, I will confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before people, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. Confession of faith is essential to salvation, Right? Faith is not a private feeling or a private thought. Romans 10, 9, and 10. You might know this. My blue belts have to memorize this in the karate class. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. 
and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart you believe and you're made righteous, with the mouth you confess and so are saved. If you won't acknowledge Jesus, if you won't confess Jesus, then you are not yet saved. The primary way that we acknowledge faith in Christ publicly is by being baptized in the name of Jesus or using the formula that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen to what, listen to what Peter said when he came to the end of the first gospel sermon. Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter says in his little letter, 1 Peter, this is 1 Peter 3.21, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh. So it doesn't wash away your sins. Baptism is symbolic, right, of what Christ has done for you. He says, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. So it is a symbolic way of saying, yes, I want to identify with Jesus in his death and burial and resurrection. It says, uh, uh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you've not acknowledged your faith publicly in baptism, then your alleged faith remains incomplete. Faith without works is dead. That's what James said, uh, Jesus' half-brother. Obedience follows faith necessarily, or you don't have genuine faith. Romans 16, 26, the Apostle Paul says, or excuse me, 1 Romans 1, 5, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles in behalf of his name. Paul said, this is why I do what I do, to bring about the obedience of faith. We're the Gentiles. To my knowledge, there are no Jews in our room in the room today. There are sometimes on Sunday. Um, so Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Then in, at the end of Romans, so he says this at the beginning and the end of his letter, Paul says, uh, Romans 16, 26, but now has been disclosed and through the scriptures of the prophets in accordance with the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. Been in church for a long time? You ever hear that hymn? Trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Anxious, upset, discouraged, trust and obey. Well, I thought I was going to finish this tonight, but I'm not because there's a whole other section here and I'm not going to rush that or keep you here any longer. All right. So thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you. God bless.